You're listening to Iran's Weekly Wire. I'm Roland Elliott Brown. Azar Nafisi, the author of Reading Lolita in Tehran, is starting a new campaign about books and human rights. It's called Books Save. To launch it, she's posted a new blog on the Penguin Books website. She writes about her return to Iran from the U.S. in 1979 and how she watched a political revolution turn into a cultural revolution. She remembers how the new authorities targeted writers and academics. Many of those people lost their livelihoods, or even their lives, as a result. And that caused Nafisi to see a clear connection between the life of the imagination and the rights of individuals. Today, she sees that connection everywhere, not just in Iran. She wants other people to see it too, and to share their experiences online. This week, I spoke to her about the campaign. You've written about how your homecoming to Iran in 1979 caused you to draw a connection between the imagination and human rights. What did you witness back then, and what did you learn from it? Well, you know, I have this quotation from Baldwin that says, art would not be important if life were not important, and life is important. Now, when I went back to Iran, I felt uh, there were a lot of things that I had thought about in abstract uh, that became very concrete for me, uh, because I realized that the assault on our reality, which um, embraces what we call human rights and individual rights, namely uh, targeting uh, women and minorities, came about with an assault on on culture, on everything that had to do with either knowledge of the world, discussion about who we are, where we stand, and the way we imagine ourselves, the way we imagine ourselves that we should be. Uh, So I realized that there is this very intricate and delicate connection between being able to live freely and independently and the life of mind and the life of imagination. I never felt it in these very concrete uh, terms, you know, where the laws about women were being changed. We now had stoning people to death for adultery. And at the same time, um, universities were being assaulted. At the same time, people like Shahnush Parsipur was being put in jail. Um, and, and poets like Saeed Sultanpur were murdered. Uh, so it made it very concrete for me. And it sort of became part of the way I view the world as a whole and not just Iran. Now, that connection may be obvious to anyone who has lived through a cultural revolution, but the imagination is something abstract and intangible. The international community measures human rights through carefully worded laws and agreements. So how hard is it to make people recognize that connection? Well, you know, when we talk about imagination, as when we talk about human rights, these are just words, and and, and they are as abstract. But as in the case of human rights, when you um, pick specific issues and specific individuals and talk about how they are treated, you know, what happens to these people, it immediately creates a sense of empathy uh, to the rest of the world who have never, ever experienced uh, being in jail, being flogged, being 
in fear of your life. It puts us as closely as we can get without being there in their experience. So that is what the relationship between human rights and imagination is. Imagination is based on curiosity. It is based on the fact that you need to come out of your own self and your narrow world and travel to places you have never been and, and, and meet people who might not only be different from you but might question the way you are, your attitudes towards life, disturb you in, in, in the genuine sense of the word. And, and yet our curiosity takes us there. And at the same time, that curiosity makes you connect to other people whom you have never met or you have never had any feelings about. You also write that tyrants understand the link between imagination and freedom better than democratic politicians. And you wrote your blog specifically about the case for fiction. What evidence do you see that authoritarian regimes still care about fiction in the 21st century? Well, what happens, um, uh, just take any authoritarian uh, regime, um, uh, either in the past or the present, from Stalin's uh, Soviet Union to Hitler's Germany, uh, to authoritarian regimes, none of which are that extreme, but they still can be called authoritarian, like what is happening in Saudi Arabia or what is happening in China or what is happening in, in Iran. What is it that they target first? I mean, you know, they are not saying that we don't like Western technology, are they? They, they don't like the content. You know, when I look at your um, blog, you know, Wire, I see the bloggers, for example, are the ones that are targeted. So they don't like the content of, of technology, which makes people realize that there is a world beyond this world and that we don't all have to be the way the Islamic Republic or the Chinese government claims we should be. Uh, and, and these are all the things that, you know, I have experienced myself in Iran. And, and uh, you know, um, you have um, experiences of thousands, if not millions, of other people, who, um, just ordinary people, um, who have lived uh, under some form of pressure. I do wonder about the state of books and fiction now. Uh, to give you an example, during the Cold War, the CIA used to promote and distribute banned novels in the Soviet Union. But today, the U.S. government looks to new forms of media and technology to create more open societies. Hillary Clinton might give speeches about Internet freedom, but it's pretty hard to imagine her giving a speech about fiction. So why do books and fiction still matter? Well, uh, you might um, talk about Internet freedom, but what is it that is most catching um, when it comes to these authoritarian systems uh, about Internet freedom? Uh, people immediately use it in order to tell the stories that they have not been allowed to tell. That is the problem. You remember in Iran uh, during the 2009 elections uh, when Neda Agha Sultan uh, was targeted. That is a good example of, uh, for both making a case for human rights and for uh, fiction. Neda immediately became interesting to us because what we were doing uh, with her image and, 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 and with her background was the same way that we do with fiction. We wanted now to know her. 
We wanted to know her story. She all of a sudden became concrete for us. She looked us in the eye, although we had never looked her in the eye. And that is what fiction does to you. And what does Hillary Clinton, by the way, do when she wants to attract people's attention? Doesn't she go to telling her story? I mean, she goes to, um, to tell her story. She talks about her childhood. She talks about her mother. Because she wants, without knowing it, we're not doing this all uh, intentionally, but she wants to spark something within us so that we become interested in her, not just as a politician, but as a human being. So she tells her story. Obama has done it. Um, John Boehner has done it. He even cries at his hearing his own story. You know, um, Each of them use it, but they use it um, instrumentally. They use it in a utilitarian fashion. And that is why they themselves go out of fashion after, <laughs> you know, uh, their time is passed. Um, Nabokov used to say, governments come and go, only the trace of genius remains. And looking at the situation in the U.S., you mention political correctness twice in your essay. You say yeah. that it can't replace what imagination offers. You observe a complacency whereby people substitute political correctness for curiosity and empathy. So I wonder where political correctness fits into this broader picture involving imagination and human rights. It is so amazing. <laughs> I, I, I'm always amazed at how much of my own experiences that I'm talking about now and, and, and the ideas that I have formulated now come from Iran. <laughs> you know, and my experiences over there, both good and bad. Because, you know, I, I experienced political correctness in its extremist form. Uh, where uh, you were punished for thinking differently, uh, and sometimes what you thought differently might have been terrible. But punishment itself is not enough. Political correctness uh, usually targets things that, are, that need to be corrected. When we talk about um, uh, insulting women or, or insulting people of other races or nationalities, all of these are things that go back to our real values and, and, and principles in life. And they should not be taken lightly. But when you have people in... Um, schools censoring Huckleberry Finn because they call it racist without at least having a debate within the classrooms rather than just eliminating allowing people to genuinely experience something and, and form their own ideas, then it becomes dangerous. I think that political correctness, any form of ideology, any form of didactic, self-righteous preaching to others goes against imagination. Because what imagination does, it puts you into the experience of all sorts of people. You don't just hear the voice of the protagonist, of the good guy. You don't just hear the voice of the victim. You also hear the voice of the villain, of the demonic 
people who appear to us in the guise of good people. Um, looking at Hitler and Stalin or even Ayatollah Khomeini, uh, we notice that monsters do not come to us in, you know, something written on their forehead saying we're monsters. They come to you under the guise of wise people, people who have your interests in mind, you know, and, and, and we need to be able to differentiate um, between what is good and what is principled and what is just being preached to you to make you either feel guilty or make you feel too self-righteous and divide the world into the good guy and the bad guy. So that is what uh, irks me about political correctness. Last month, the U.S.-based Library Journal reported on a Harris poll about the banning of books in U.S. school libraries. Mm -hmm. They noted a 10-point increase from 2011 in the number of people who wanted uh, certain books banned completely. 28% said that certain books should be banned. Uh, why do you think in a democratic society are some people so keen on censorship? That, that is exactly why I, I believe that imagination and thought are dangerous not just to tyrannical regimes, but they're dangerous to people who have an absolutist mindset, no matter where they live. So the whole idea is that democracy is a, a sort of a working process, and, and, and freedom is never completely accessed. It is something that you constantly have to fight for. And I think that is why in both my blog that you're mentioning, but every, every time I speak or write, I talk about what our writers, especially American writers, uh, saw as the gravest danger to a democracy, and that is complacency. That is where political correctness comes, that without understanding why something should not be done or should be done, to just take a position on it. Uh, without understanding at the core that once you denounce prejudice against, for example, women, then you have to denounce prejudice against gays, against racism, that all of this is a package deal. Uh, you cannot be free if your neighbor is not free. And, and that is why I'm so worried about America today, because it is the age of complacency. And the age of complacency always comes with the age of ignorance. For me, at least, coming from where I'm coming from, this is a real danger, and um, we have to find a way. And uh, how are you asking people to get involved in your Book Save campaign, and what are you hoping the campaign will achieve? Well, first of all, I have always felt that one of the greatest things about books is that by nature, places where books are kept, they, they are the most democratic of all spaces, because books, first of all, cover all areas of life. I have been trying to get people involved in understanding that if they love books, they need to take care of books. What we love, we are responsible for. And books need to be taken care of. And books need to be defended and supported. And in the age of ignorance, it is up to us as readers to take up this. 
books are directly related to the quality of our lives. As the quality of life goes down, the love for books goes down. So they become sort of canaries in the mind. For me personally, and I'm not speaking for my publisher now, for me personally, this has at least three steps. The first steps would be this campaign where we want people all over the world and not just in U.S. or not just in the West. To tell you the truth, whenever I think of U.S., I immediately think of Iran. So I'm hoping that readers all over the world would be connected by these quotations and these books. And the second step is that I want to ask people to take their photographs or to take the stories to their local bookstores and their local libraries. As readers, I want them to understand that we share this responsibility to support those institutions that are helping us um, to save books. So I thought that this would be a way of giving support to bookstores and to libraries and making people in communities aware. The third stage, I would like to see it being taken to um, public schools, where especially in U.S., public schools now are just starving. Both the government and Congress, they, they are starving the public schools. And they and community colleges are suffering a great deal. And I was hoping that through this I can create a link to different high schools, uh, different community colleges, and um, once they give their quotations about their favorite books, I would like, if possible, to go and talk to them or, or talk to them through Internet and Skype, and this way get them formulated uh, on, on, on you know, how they feel about these books, why are these books important to them. At least these are the three steps that I have in mind. Uh, uh, as I told you, we had three photos taken with three different quotations. One was a quotation by Nabokov, who said, readers are born free and ought to remain free. So it links the idea of reading to the idea of freedom. The second one was from Ray Bradbury, that I don't remember it exactly, but it was, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. All you have to do is to stop people from reading. And the third one, which we used now, uh, was from Baldwin. Art would not be important if life were not important, and life is important. Uh, so that is what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that people will see that imagination is not just going up in the clouds or in the ivory tower. That imagination is opening your eyes to yourself and to the world and connecting to the world. And that is why I definitely want to link it to my other favorite activity, which is human rights. And it won't be a political campaign. What I like to call it is an existential campaign. Long after we are gone, people will have the same debates and uh, hopefully people will be reading um, and, and fighting in order to read. Well, I wish you the very best of luck and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You can get involved in this campaign on Twitter by using the hashtag BookSave. Azar Nafisi's new book, The Republic of Imagination, is out now. That's all from Iran's Weekly Wire. If you want to find out more about these issues, join us on Twitter or Facebook, 
or visit iranwire.com.